They say that age is just a state of mind. But is that really true when it comes to our hobby? Plus, can boomers ever really get along with Zoomers? All that and more coming up on this episode of The Reenactors Corner. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Reenactors Corner Podcast. This is Chris here again. Before we get started today, I just wanted to uh, thank the new people who have signed up to help support us via Patreon. So uh, Garrett, Manig, Alex, Tyler, and Juan Dominguez, thank you very much, guys, for your support. It really means a lot. And without your help, we wouldn't be able to keep doing this podcast. Um, so without any further ado, I would like to introduce someone who most of you have heard on here before. He's going to be the new regular co-host on the show, Ben Longfellow-Tracy. Thanks for coming back on. My pleasure, Chris. Uh, I'm excited. Um, it's a great honor, honestly. So yeah, let's do this. Yeah. So this is going to be um, probably what uh, 2022 and going forward is going to look like for us for the podcast. It's going to be you and I and occasional guests, and we're going to um, talk about reenacting. For people who don't know, um, Ben and I are in the same reenactment group. We've been friends for years, and we live near each other, so it's going to make it real easy for us to get these episodes recorded and out to you guys. Hell yeah, brother. Plus, Ben has kind of a different perspective on reenacting than I do. I mean, everybody's, uh, everyone has their own opinions and thoughts about reenacting. Ben's got his own opinions and thoughts about it. And um, we've spent, I don't know, how many hours in the car going Countless to, thousands. Count, <laughs> countless thousands of hours. And uh, just talking about hobby-related stuff and yeah. different takes on it. So, Yeah, let's do it. So I had made a post on the the Facebook page, um, I think it was yesterday, asking about topics that people wanted to hear about on the podcast. And we got a lot of different um, cool responses from people and a lot of stuff that I think is going to be great episodes going forward. For today, we're going to use a suggestion that was sent in by Rudy Lange, who's been a guest on the podcast uh, a couple of times in the past. Uh, Rudy has proposed an episode on the quote-unquote life cycle of reenacting. Rudy writes, this has crossed my mind a lot, as I would say I have met two of three timetables. Uh, and he goes on to describe some different phases of being a reenactor. He says, new young reenactor, fears, challenges, perceptions, excitement, struggles of funds, schooling, transportation, getting into the hobby. And then what he terms middle-aged reenactors, much of the same, but add in struggles of jobs, growing family, military service, how the hobby's changed, delegating responsibility, improving the hobby, and maybe stepping away from the hobby. And then he has identified a final stage in the reenactor life cycle, which he calls later years reenactors. He says, much the same as bracket two, but maybe you're coming back to the hobby. Um, 
thinking about what you want out of the hobby in advanced age, comfort and personal expectations at events, knowing one's limits, how the hobby has changed, special roles, um, what you do and don't like about the younger reenactors approach to living history and when is it time to walk away. So um, thank you, Rudy, for suggesting this episode. Um, from a personal perspective, where I'm at, I mean, I literally am middle-aged for people who don't <laughs> know this. I am 42 years old, um, but I've been reenacting for more than 20 years now, and I do kind of think that I almost might be entering the third stage. So, And I could be wrong about that because... Um, I have reenacted with people who were more than 20 years older than I am now who had been reenacting, you know, more than twice as long as I've been reenacting and who were still super high quality reenactors, very passionate, very dedicated. So I, you know, I, I don't really know what it's going to be like for me getting older, but, um, uh, Ben, what do you think? What it resonated with me because I feel like I'm definitely sort of transitioning over from the first sta- the first stage to the second stage. I mean, I certainly don't have a family, but I also feel like the thing, the hobby has shifted uh, in my mind uh, quite a bit. Um, and I still love doing it. It's still one of my favorite things to do. But my approach is different, and I feel like it's been sort of tempered with age. And uh, a lot of the things which characterized... Um, sort of my first, you know, five, six years in the hobby, uh, I feel like I've kind of shifted away from. And maybe that's a good thing, maybe not. Well, let's get into it. You know, what, um, how, so just before we even really get started, I guess, uh, look, I love World War II reenacting. There are things that I enjoyed at my first reenactment that I uh, would still really enjoy very much today. Um, but there are things that I enjoyed at my first reenactment that I probably wouldn't feel the same about today. Sure. And so, um, you know, Ben, how would you kind of characterize what it feels like to be to be new doing this? Well, I mean, when I started reenacting, I was very, very, very sort of happy to have found a community where, you know, I was was probably the only person at my high school who cared as much about World War II as I do, but all of a sudden, you know, I'm meeting all of these people who, you know, care about World War II and think it's cool and awesome. But uh, when I started, I was very concerned with getting the best possible thing, um, you know, getting the best kit, and uh, I feel like I... I feel like I care a lot less about who made what or how much something cost. Um, I feel like when I started the hobby, there was a bit of sort of showing off by having some sort of really, really, really nice kid item. And I mean, (laughs) that said, I've kind of amassed a bunch of really nice kid items, and maybe I'm not like as excited by them as I was, but also I've seen sort of the wide range of reproductions that are available. And uh, I realized that, you know, uh, a tunic that costs $800 is not necessarily all that much better from one that costs $100. So, yeah. But I feel like that only really came with age. And also the, the other thing, too, is when I started reenacting, like, I had all these different ideas for doing different impressions. Um, you know, and I even bought, I even kind of collected kits and in recent years, I've, like, sold off a lot of superfluous kits because I just don't see myself having any opportunity to use these 
And if I want to reenact, I want to do stuff with a collective of people who are all doing the same thing rather than being like the one guy with the tropical kit or the foreign volunteer kit or whatever, what have you, you know, or like the one guy with the complete um, winter uniform, you know, the winter tonanzug. When I think back to when I was a new reenactor, just the learning curve of it was so overwhelming. And I was meeting new people. And every event that I went to, it was my first time going to that event. Um, and I think kind of to speak to what you were talking about, Ben, suddenly I had this giant world of things that I could buy. Um, all these vendors, all of these products that were available to me, and it seemed like reenactment was just absolutely limitless in what it could be. Like, um, you know, if if I could dream it up, we could have an event that was centered around it. Any, sure. any impression, any um, any campaign, any theater, any time period, all it took was buying stuff, and you could have this set of things that would allow you to reenact it. And to top that off, I mean, you would go on the internet and you would see some people doing impressions of some awesome-looking things, you know? Like, I remember the first time I ever saw some guys doing a North Africa impression. I thought it was so cool. And I was trying to desperately find a way to be able to do that locally. And, I mean, we even tried to do something in, like, the sand dunes on Cape Cod, and it just it never materialized. It just... It, would, it never was going to be. But, like, when... When I was in this sort of dreamy phase early on, like, I thought that I could do anything. You know, it's interesting to think that a lot of reenactors, not most, right, but a good large number of reenactors will never actually get out of that phase of being a reenactor. Sure, sure. I mean, sure. How, I'm sure it's different for everybody, right? But when, when we're talking about sort of being new, having the mindset of a new reenactor, how long do you think that lasts? Dude, I'm going on 10 years, and... It's it's finally hitting me. I mean, also, maybe I just I have other, you know, sort of financial priorities in my life. And maybe I have more means, but like also like some of the some things, some things have gotten old. But I think I was in that phase for a solid, I don't know, like eight years or something. You know what I mean? Sure. You know, you and I got into reenacting probably when we were around the same age, give or take. Right? I was 16. Dude. Okay, yeah, you were yeah. earlier. You yeah. got involved younger than me. Yeah. I got started in reenacting when I was like 21. Mm. Um, but not everybody gets involved with reenacting even when they're a relatively young person. Yeah. Some people are already middle-aged or, you know, older yeah. when they get started. So that that might affect it too. There totally. is a sort of like a, almost like a, a young person's way of looking at the world before you get super jaded by everything that happens to you right and that's, no it's true yeah. it's true it's absolutely true and i mean there's a there's almost a beauty in it but also like i can i remember you know when i was a young reenactor i had all these ideas and i think some looking back at them some of them were genuinely bad ideas and i got like shot down by older people in the hobby and i just remember being crestfallen but now like being somewhat older in the hobby i would shoot down my own ideas yeah. Um, and so it's like, I don't know, I feel there's a trade-off. But I, re I relate to that very much. When I got started in reenacting, I had a ton of terrible ideas, and I cringe hard looking back. There's actually um, out, you know, echoing through the internet on forums and stuff, old posts that I made, and I look back at it now, and it's just like, I had no idea what I was talking about. Sure, sure. And, sure. and, and not just in terms of like, 
sort of factual stuff, but the mechanics of reenacting, what reenacting can and can't be, what it is and isn't, you know, yeah. and what events, what would work at an event versus what wouldn't work at an event, that kind of stuff. Sure. I think the other sort of difference is I used to, I used to really like care about the combat, you know, even though we portray like a second line unit, um, I, I used to kind of want to get into the tactical part of it. And now I feel like I do find myself having like a, an awakening interest in sort of second line stuff. I mean, I blame you for this, Chris, but now I have five typewriters, you know? Well, typewriters are fun. <laughs> Eventually, are. everybody will see my way. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so. I love the field stuff and I love the tactical stuff to an extent. You know, sure. But there is this um, novelty of it when you are new. Yeah. And um, something I've been thinking about lately, this is kind of a sort of a controversial thing to say, I think. But I think that the more you know about your impression, the more issues you identify with how events work as far as like authenticity flaws. Go. Oh, sure. Totally. Totally. And totally. it's when uh, on some level there were aspects of reenacting that seemed a lot more real to me before I learned enough about World War II to see why they were so wrong. Sure. I mean, if you just think of reenacting as like firing your weapon at the enemy, um, you know, it's a lot different from when you actually think about the different squad tactics of, uh, you know, different countries and the scale of the battles that were going on. And, you know, the effect of artillery and aircraft, which cannot be simulated, you know, like, so I totally know what you mean. There are attempts, I've seen attempts at simulating aircraft and artillery by rolling dice or, you know, something is scripted and that's. I mean, I wouldn't discourage people from trying to do that sort of thing. We actually had aircraft fly over at the Haydenville time. That's true. They were dropping was, stuff on us. That was one of the realest moments of the event. You sure, know, that was true. awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so there, you know, there is, it's not to say that um, nothing can be improved upon, right? It's not to say there is not a possibility of incorporating more realism. But but what, what you can't really do is you can't put the genie back in the bottle in mm. terms of the novelty of the thrill, you know, when stuff is new, experiencing it for the first time. This is like a stupid comparison that I'm just, it's like learning that Santa Claus isn't real, you know, when you're a kid. <laughs> yeah, right. You can't, you can't go back. Yeah. Once you know it's not real. And that's kind of how it was for me, in a sense, with tacticals. I mean, I really am embarrassed in many ways to look back on some of my really naive um sort of conclusions that I came to as a young person. Uh, I thought that we were involved in like real paramilitary training that maybe would help or have some sort of uh, value in like a real combat situation. Like if Chinese paratroopers were to invade, you know, <laughs> red dawn, red dawn yeah. in a red dawn scenario. I'm like, all right, we're going to rule the field because we have hand signals, you know? And it's like, I had no idea what, I, 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 I have never been in combat. I've never been in the military. I don't know what real combat is like, but I know now that I don't know anything about what it's like at all. Yeah, I could And I certainly don't think that I can learn anything about what it is like by engaging in um, make-believe with my friends. Totally. I totally agree. I totally agree. Let's, so, yeah. 
let's look at like the sort of what what Rudy calls the the middle aged reenactors, I guess. Which is even though Ben, you're still in your twenties, I guess you yeah, kind what, of. I, I'm still twenty five. I turn twenty six. What next month? That's crazy. <laughs> uh, uh, but you are feeling that you're entering into what might be a middle era sort of of reenactment. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just uh, like. I have a house now, you know, like, I'm starting to think about, like, instead of just buying helmets, like, maybe actually buying furniture, you know, and, like, you know, like, my priorities, I feel like, are shifting away from exclusively buying reenactment stuff. Um, I did kind of want to touch on, you know, the, what Rudy commented about the sort of phase one of reenacting like you know limited financial means and like getting to events is a hassle like when i was 16 i actually didn't get my driver's license till i was 19 and so for the first three years that i was in the hobby um i i i didn't have a license and for the first like five i didn't have a car and so i just remember like i really had to I don't know if I ever took a bus to an event, but I took a train to an event, you know? Like, I had to beg people for rides. Like, I was kind of embarrassed by it at the time, but I also, I just, I I had this drive to get to the event, to see my friends, to meet new people. Um, I remember that. I lived that yeah. life for many years. Sure. When I got started in reenacting, I lived in the city, and I didn't have a car because I didn't need a car. Sure. But, of course, now I'm, in, I'm involved in this hobby where... Um, you know, I can't take the subway or the commuter rail to get to Pennsylvania. Sure. So, yeah, thank God my reenactment group had a lot of people who were willing to help me out and were willing to work with me and pick me up, meet me somewhere, and I would get to the event that way. Sure. I mean, I've touched on this before, but like... You know, road trips are like how I met you, Chris, you know, how I met uh, Genya, you know, how I met Ricky. Like, it was... It was it was fun in a way, but also like I don't I don't I don't sort of long for that time in my life where I didn't have a car because having mobility is a major facet of my lifestyle now. So, yeah, you know, it's interesting to, you know, you mentioned like uh, the limited financial means of a young person. Yep. And it's it's really interesting because um, when I think back about when I got started in reenacting, I think I made. I mean, look, I know I made a lot less money than I do now, but on some level, I had a lot more disposable income than I do now because my bill situation was very different. Sure. You know, there was no car insurance. There was no car payment. There was no gas cost to get to work. And, um, you know, to reiterate, people come into reenacting in different phases of their lives. Totally. But as your life changes as your situations change, it can really um, affect how much disposable income you have for reenacting, regardless of whether you make more or less money. Sure. You could be making 10 times as much money as you did when you started reenacting, but if in the meantime you've you've had two kids and, you know, you, you suddenly um, not all of your money is fun money anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, life expenses are a real thing. Um, you know, and you got to prioritize. It's and not just the expenses either, right? It's like how much free time you might have. It sure. can be wildly changing as a person goes through life. Yeah, exactly. You know, and like you, you have to prioritize other things in life, you know, like relationships and like friendships outside the hobby and like 
that stuff is important. You need to balance that. Like, if you go all in on reenacting, as I think I did, like, in my early years of reenacting, like, sometimes you have regrets that you, like, didn't, like, make connections with, you know, people in your life or, you know, you... Like I'm not saying I regret I'm not saying I regret reenacting as something that I did, but uh, it's just like you have to learn to find a balance between your hobby and other facets of your life to to have like a healthy balance. I have some regrets. You know, I thought that reenactment was so fun and so cool, and it was the coolest possible thing. And I just wanted to tell everybody in the world about it. And I thought that everybody else would think that it was so awesome. But of course, that's not really the case. You know, some people uh, find reenactment to be very objectionable, unfortunately. And um, nowadays, I'm a lot more sort of circumspect with who I discuss my hobby with. Yeah, I mean, I found out that the hard way freshman year of university because I thought my hobby was awesome and, you know, spoiler alert, um, basically dressing up as a member of the Wehrmacht isn't necessarily something that everybody thinks is tasteful or or good, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying that was the that that was the exact reason why I transferred schools after freshman year, but <laughs> it definitely factored in in a weird way, you know? For many years, uh. when I was um, newer in reenactment, in my reenactment group, we had a crew of people who were up for doing some reenactment thing literally every single weekend. Sure. So any event, we would have a solid crew at. Yeah. No matter what the event was, we, had, we, we, had, we were there in force. And if there wasn't an event, maybe we would do a hike or we would get together to work on kit, have a work party to work on our vehicles or whatever it was. And... We had people in that same situation in my group from every conceivable age group. Sure. You know, we had guys in there. uh, We had a 16-year-old guy, and we had a guy who was in his 60s, and we had everything in between. And this was a crew of people who who were all at the stage in their lives for one reason or another where they had tons of free time, and they had some disposable income, and they didn't have a lot of other... Uh, stuff competing for their time. Sure, I mean, I remember I thought it was kind of an honor when I was a kid to be sort of like recognized by people who were older than me, sometimes decades older than me, like, hey, you're pretty cool. You know, that 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 meant a lot as to like 17, 18-year-old me. But now, um, those same people that I knew from back then, a lot of those people are still reenacting, but they might only do a few events a year. Sure. And on some level, even I am in that category now. I mean, we don't really know. The pandemic, I think, is still affecting things. Totally. But will will it ever go back to normal? I don't even know. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't really have, uh, like, I don't really have any grand reenactment aspirations for 2022. There's three events that I know that I'm going to right off the bat. And I definitely am going to go go to more than three. But that said, like, right, I'm focusing on, you know, my house and other facets of my life right now. So sometimes you just, you need to be able to take a little bit of a step back while still, you know, sort of hold on to what you have, but, uh, you know, focus on the other things. Something I will say about a changing, you know, place in uh, how I see myself in reenacting is that when I was new, if I missed an event, I was absolutely heartbroken. Yeah. There was a World War II reenactment that happened. My friends were there. I didn't go, and I'll never know what happened, and, you know, this is a disaster. And now, 
I have really no problem sitting out an event if it's not a right one for me. Well, it's funny because, I mean, they say that every year that you get older, time, the, the your perception of time passes differently because, you know, the each new year is fractionally smaller, is a fractionally smaller, chunkier life that you've been alive, if that makes any sense. And so when I was new at the hobby, you know, I felt like, oh, this event will never happen again. Versus now, it's like, there's some events where, like, if I miss it, I feel like, well, I can just go to the one next year, you know? Right, and it, there are events that, that you and I both have done that don't happen anymore, and I'm glad that we had the opportunity to sure, go. Like, sure, You know, uh, yeah. the Gap or the Stalingrad events or so many other yep. legendary events that don't happen anymore. But um, I'm really glad I got the chance to go, but it didn't... I don't think that when I lay down to die... Um, that I'm going to be thinking, well, thank God I went to that one particular. Sure. I think sure. it's more likely that, I mean, I will always look back fondly on my time as a reenactor. There's no doubt about that. But uh, in terms of every individual event, they, they kind of blur together at some point. After you've done 100 events, Yeah. they, you know, looking back on it... I don't know. What percentage of events do I even have memories from at this point? I, don't, I really, there's no way for me to answer that. Sure. I mean, I, I, I believe that there's some events that I have totally forgotten. Like, I have no idea that I even went or what I even did there. And, like, I guess that sort of speaks to maybe it wasn't a good event, but, like, maybe I did have a great time um, at it. But I think that also happens after you've done, you know, like, hundreds of events. Like, both you and I, Chris, have done literally hundreds of events at this point. Sure. Um, there's something I wanted to mention about kind of the middle-aged reenactor that I, that I literally am, uh, which is the perspective that comes with having attended events over a period of years and being able to see how reenacting has or hasn't changed over that period of time. Sure. Um, which can be kind of frustrating sometimes because there's not like a, it's not like, um, there's an annual yearbook of reenacting that comes out where you could put your hand on it and say, well, this is the data. This is how many active reenactors there were at this time, or this is what was popular or unpopular at that time. There's no like history of reenactment that's sort of being actually chronicled in that way. So, no. so how the hobby used to be kind of just exists in the collective memory of the people who have been doing it. For sure. Years. And somebody who is like new to the hobby, like, you know, years after a certain time, um, they have no idea what happened back in the day, you know? Like, yeah, and they like, can't be blamed either, you that, know? Exactly, they can't be blamed. But and even if they wanted to know what reenactment was like, uh, you know, more than five years ago, how would they even find sure, out? Sure, totally. Other than, than asking people. And, um, and even then, you're only going to hear somebody's subjective, biased opinion about what their personal experience was and memory is a fickle thing dude you know sure like, it's it's funny i'm i'm wondering if how i remembered the gap or stalingrad to be was how it actually was you yep, know absolutely because you know some of those events we might look back on with rose-colored glasses and uh forget about the terrible farby stuff that was sure, all around us sure, that maybe sure. bothered us at the time other events um 
it's easy to look back and remember horrible things that happened. <laughs> but there were yeah. good parts of those events, too. Sure, totally, totally, totally. What about um, something that, you know, I would maybe in a future episode, we could have a guest on someone who's been reenacting for 40 years or 50 years or something. Mm. Somebody who is uh, maybe thinking about hanging it up or um, or maybe they'll maybe they'll reenact until they die or whatever their perspective is, because neither you or I can really talk on what it's like when you've been reenacting for decades and decades and yeah, decades. Totally. And what th- what that must be like. Um, but there are a lot of people, I mean, it's only a small, of, of all the people who get started in historical reenacting, I think there's only a small fraction who are going to reenact from the time that they're, you know, young to the time that they're, uh, a retired person. I mean, I don't know if this statistic is true, but we've talked about like the five year, uh, life sort of, uh, average lifespan of a lot of of a lot of people in the hobby you know like the, well, is that still even true i don't know i really don't know because there have been some people who have like been reenacting for five years and like maybe they like are doing less events you know and like you know they they may have a serious relationship and like a good job but they're working a lot of hours or something and you think oh this person's gonna quit and then like years later they're still around like you know, doing like one or two events a year, but like they're just not doing it as much, you know? I feel like most of the people like in our sphere, in our groups that we're in, well, I don't know, like, okay, so let's, let's talk about it. Like our German group, most of the people who have joined that group are still reenacting. Yeah. Even if they're not some with capacity, us anymore. You know, even if it's like, even if they moved or, you know, they... They, they have other priorities. They still come out or participate in some way. There are some that don't, yeah. but, but most do. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, though, when I think about our Soviet group that we're in, all the people that have been in that group over the past many, whatever, however yep. many years... Um, I mean, there's a core of people who are very active, who have been active, who yep. are going to stay active. But there have been, I feel like, a lot of faces coming gone. Oh, too. yeah, totally, totally. I mean, I feel like their old guard has largely hung it up. Um, or, you know, not some all of them. But percentage of yeah, them. Yeah, some percentage of them, and for then sure. They also did something sort of uh, recruit-wise that we didn't do, where they had some people who were to their credit, very active in getting people who weren't reenactors to put the uniform on and try it out. Sure. And some of those people went on to become great reenactors, but a lot of those people, maybe they only went to a few events. Yeah. Is, that, that, is that just my perspective? No, no, no. It's just like, I, I remember some faces, you know, I met them at, at an event and I have no idea who those people were or where they went. Uh, the, the, the thing too is, and I, I, I don't want to seem jaded, but um, I feel like when I was new to reenacting, I sort of witnessed the rise of reenactment social media, which we've talked about in previous episodes. And I used to place a lot of stock in conversations that I had on Facebook. And I thought it wouldn't be cool to like meet all these people. Um, And now I feel like I really only place value in people who I talk to online if I know that I'm going to be encountering those people at events, even if it's just once a year, you know? Sure. 
it's interesting that you mentioned that there might actually be a similar sort of a life cycle with how a reenactor interacts with the so-called international reenactor community on the internet. Sure. Um, where when you, I don't know, I, I used to very, very, very avidly use uh, social media and eventually I, I mostly use social media just for reenactment related stuff. Yep. Because there was always something to talk about. There was always some interesting thing to discuss. A new reproduction had become available. Something was available for sale. Uh, but more recently, during the time of the pandemic over the last two years, my subjective personal opinion is just that um, there's been less exciting, good new stuff sure. on there. And there's a lot of... Uh, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that I don't like, to be perfectly honest. I mean, honest. I think this topic is multifaceted. Like, I am less interested in the sort of universal question of who makes the best tunic, you know? Uh, that just, that that discussion, it used to, I used to take interest in it, and now I take a lot less interest in it. Um, but I feel like that's never going to go away. Right, and... It, for some people, maybe they're going to just revel in that um, yeah. until the end of time. I yeah. mean, we yeah. all on some yeah. level, I've never met a reenactor who was just like, I just don't care about material culture. Yeah. You, you just tell me what I need to get. I'll shop from a list and then that's going to be it. No, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I bought another helmet today. I'm insane. You know, like I still do care about reenacting material culture on a, on a certain level, you know? Um, sure. But it's just, it's changed. I feel like um, I just certain aspects of that discussion. I'm, I'm not as interested in sort of, debating people on you know well ben let's let's look at a big picture question here kind of um since we're kind of getting into the weeds of what does and doesn't matter uh you know does reenacting matter yes or no i feel like it's subjective it's like does it does it i mean personally i feel like i'm in i'm all in on this hobby um i so many, I've made so many friendships through reenacting, and I've had so many crazy experiences through this hobby. I'm just, I'm never going to quite give it up, you know? Sure. Um, but that said, I mean, yeah, it matters to me. It matters a tremendous deal. But I feel like I used to sort of self-aggrandize, like, I sure. can change the world. I can change the hobby. And yes or no, like, the hobby kind of rolls on in its way. The world rolls on. The world way, rolls right? on. Reenacting has an intense personal meaning for me and has given me so much perspective and I've learned so much from it. And um, I think it's really important for me personally to uh, interact with history, to understand uh, what life was like for human beings in sure. the past. And I do that in a whole bunch of different ways. And reenactment is one of those ways. Yeah. And to me, having that sort of interaction with the past yeah. is very, very, very valuable. And I think that we as a human culture should sort of foster this sort of a thing. So in this sort of sense, I think yeah. that reenacting does matter. But the reality is, I have to admit, like, what is contributed to like the grand progress, the grand march of humanity by us pretending that it's World War II? Like, it's not academic, um, sure. and any academic with a bone to pick could tear apart 
um, what reenactors um, our of, our self-aggrandizing claims yeah, prop up uh, about what we are doing, and so I've kind of just accepted that what I do for a hobby. I do this for my own personal enjoyment. And, I mean, I do appreciate the community. I do uh, take pride in my place in it. Um, and, uh, you know, it, when I meet people who sort of know me from the Internet at events, um, not that I'm like a celebrity by any means, but, like, it feels good when people recognize, you know, recognize me and I have, like, a good conversation with them, and uh, that's sure. fun. Yeah, they yeah. say they... They shared an opinion with you, yeah. or you know, they liked what you said about something, or exactly, information dude. that you shared, or exactly. some some product that you made available. Yeah, uh, it is. It's cool. It's it's cool to participate in this hobby in this yep. way. Yeah, um, it's rewarding. But, but that's for me, you know. Right. Like if we all stopped reenacting tomorrow, it's not like the, the recorded history would just fall into the dustbin, and no one would ever be able to know uh, who won World War Two or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I think that, to me, if I had to pick something, I think that sort of understanding is coming to that understanding, which people will come to at different levels of their reenactment career. Maybe that's the biggest thing that differentiates sort of the uh, rose-tinted glasses, novice, it's all it's all new it's all overwhelming when you kind of realize that there's layers of what what really matters here and yeah. that maybe some of the the flowery language about educating the public or whatever isn't what it's cracked up to be right sure you, or that you, you can't come, do everything you know yeah and like you're not the 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 weight of preserving the memories of the dying generation of the of the world is like not falling on your shoulders yeah. because you decided that you were going to pick up that mantle and dress up like a yeah. World War II person. Yeah, exactly, dude. Exactly. Um, and I wonder too. I I so as I mentioned, I'm 42. I do fully expect to be reenacting in 20 years on some level. I don't know what reenactment's going to be like in 20 years. I don't know if organized reenacting the way that it has existed for decades will exist 20 years from now. I have no way of knowing. Yeah. But I know that I will be um, doing something. I will be hopefully sleeping in a tent on the ground. I will be probably doing some clerk impression somewhere, something, you know. Sounds great. Um, and what what kind of revelations still are out there to uh, await me, you know, on what I'm sure that there is going to be a time when I look back on attitudes and opinions that I hold now with shame, probably. Right. Sure. That's, I feel like that's how learning and getting older works, you know? Sure. Hopefully not getting too jaded, you know? <laughs> right. And I don't know, maybe if I could look, uh, maybe if I could look now into the future and understand what my, viewpoints are going to be 20 years from now maybe i would be horrified sure um, sure but sure. you know i i have been fortunate in my time as a reenactor to reenact very closely with a lot of people who had been reenacting for decades some of them had been reenacting world war ii for a very long time others had been involved in the greater scheme of historical reenacting and had done different impressions uh 
I value their input tremendously and the perspective that comes with having seen how reenactment had changed maybe from 1975 to now. Totally. It was a different world back then. And also, I mean... I appreciate having been able to travel. I can't, I, I can't travel as I did, you know, when I was still in, in college and studying abroad, but I appreciated going to events in Europe and seeing how people in different countries reenact. And also realizing that, you know, we can't reenact the way they reenact in Norway or Spain here in America. Um, sure. It's just, it's just different over there. You know, in some ways it's better, in some ways it's worse, but, you know, you can't try to make it like make you know their style of reenacting work in your area necessarily per se you know sure um let me let me bring up this other point of rudy's which was um maybe stepping away from the hobby and coming back to it at a later time Mm. now this isn't something that either you or i can speak to from experience no i mean i've never i mean i guess you could say I'm doing like less. I did less events in 2021 and it and you know the the year before, but a lot of that was the pandemic related. That's external stuff. Know, like, Some of that is external stuff. Yeah, I mean, I've seen people quit reenacting and then try to come back. Yeah, I've seen people quit reenacting and successfully come yeah. back. I've seen people say they're going to take a break from reenacting, and I guess technically, uh, as long as those people are still alive, maybe they could still do that. But most sure. of them. I think don't. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I can't really speak to that, but I mean, I've never really had the the drive to, you know, sort of hang it up and like just not do any events in the foreseeable future. But uh, I definitely, you know, know of some people who have stepped away for one reason or another. Usually it's it's family or other commitments, you know, which are important. And I encourage people to sort of assess and try to find a balance in their life because this is a hobby at the end of the day it's it, you if you make it your whole life you will i think you'll find yourself disappointed i've had people um approach me almost sorrowfully or apologetically saying listen i you know you and i have reenacted together but i don't for one reason or another i don't think i can keep doing this and my response is always to tell people listen you don't owe me anything sure you don't owe me or anybody on this earth um, what you do in your free time for sure. fun as a hobby. Sure. I mean, I want to keep reenacting because my friends reenact and, you know, I, I, I think it's fun. And, uh, but like, yeah, no, that, that, that totally resonates. Um, but I think, I think that it's once you are out of it and it's particularly once you have sold your gear, mm. I think it's very hard to get back mm. into it. I mean, I always encourage people who say that they want to go on hiatus or sell their kit to keep uh, helmets, boots, and uh, yeah, hel- helmet, boots, and rifle. I have I have seen this many times where people uh, will sell their kit and then uh, they try to get back into reenacting, but the challenge of obtaining the kit again yeah. in a different world with the different availability of items with prices being different yeah. and it just proves insurmountable. Sure. And I've seen some other people who do come back, but they're like constantly yearning for their old kit. You know, mm. oh, I used to have this and now mm. you can't get this anymore or whatever. And, um, or even just that there was, you know, sometimes I almost get the sense that there is some ineffable magic 
that people attributed to their old uniform. And no matter how great the new uniform is, it's not going to be as good in their mind. In a way, I kind of wish I, I still had the first tunic I ever, I ever, you know, had in the hobby. Even though, like, it didn't actually fit me right, you know? Like, it was a off-the-rack Gavin that was, like... No, too short on my long fellow. <laughs> <laughs> when I um, when I finally sold the first wool tunic that I had used for reenacting, I had tears in my eyes when I put it in the box. Sure, this was this Memories. was something I had worn at every single event for my first five years of reenacting. You know, at a time mm. when I was doing reenactment every w- month, so a lot of events. Yeah. But the reality was, I was never going to wear it again for a variety of reasons. The rank, the configuration, everything about it was not something that I could ever see myself going back to. Sure. And, um, you know, it it stung, but I also am not really in a situation where I'm trying to collect uh, reproduction gear just because it's sentimental to my own sure. life. I mean, Chris, you've even sort of told me to assess what I collect, and I think there's value in those words because I used to... I, I still do collect reproduction items, but you, I feel like you, you can't collect everything. Right. Uh, you kind of have to... I mean, even if you have, like, unlimited money, space is still a concern. How it will are you eventually become it, a concern. Know? Right. Like, yeah, what yeah. is all of this stuff? Yeah. So you can't just have mountains of crap. So, I mean, I kind of just settled on helmets. <laughs> I mean, you have a lot of stuff, Ben. Yeah, I do Imagine have a lot of stuff. Imagine if you continued to amass stuff at, at that same At the rate that rate. I have? I mean, oh By my God, dude. you're my it, age, yeah. you would be buried under mounds of stuff. You'd have to be <laughs> filling up, you know, hangers. The Collier Mansion, you know, yeah. is that... Uh... <laughs> House full of junk. Crushed under a pile of helmets. <laughs> that will be my fate. <laughs> um, you know, there's something else that Rudy had mentioned is kind of like uh, as your body changes when you get old. Yeah. Um, I'm experiencing this on some level. Um, like, for example, uh, I think back to some of my younger days. Um, at reenactment where I would just get like wildly, insanely drunk, which sure. was the style at the time, <laughs> and then battle all day next day. Yep. I mean, if I were to try to do that stuff now as a middle-aged man, uh, they'd have to call an ambulance. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'm quite at that sort of point in my metabolism, but that said, I feel like I can't drink as much as I used to be able to drink, you know, when I was 21 years old, you know, even at 26, uh, and, you know, fortunately, I still regard myself as relatively fit. I mean, but between the pandemic and a bunch of other factors, I'm not as fit as I was when I was 25 years old. But um, I can still get out there, get around. Um, I don't know, maybe for, for those of you who are listening who are significantly younger and, and wondering about, uh, am I still going to be able to run around with a, with a gun when I'm maybe in my early to mid forties. Uh, yeah, I do. And I love doing all of that stuff. Having said that, um, what is another 20 years going to bring? I don't know. Well, I mean, you touch on something too, where (sighs) lifestyles change. Um, when I was 21 years old, um, I worked part, you know, I was still in college. I worked part time at a hardware store. And so I was on my feet all day. Um, and you know, I could sort of funnel all of my money that didn't go into just basic costs of living, uh, toward reenacting. 
Um, and now, you know, I, I, you know, I have a much better paying job. Um, I feel like my living accommodations are much nicer. Um, but that said, you know, when I was 21, I was on my feet all day on the sales floor, you know, and now I sit at a desk all day. And especially now that it's winter, uh, you know, it's colder, I'm less motivated to go outside. Um, and so I feel like, I honestly, that has had an, an effect on my own fitness, you know? Yeah. In its way. And maybe at some future time, you could, you know, be, become some kind of fitness uh, hobbyist. Or, sure, or sure. your job might change and be a physical job again. And totally. I've totally. seen, I've actually seen this and to some extent experienced this in my own life um, where having a more physical job can like help you or hurt you for reenacting. Mm, mm, so like, mm. for example, um, there were times in my life where I had a job, a full-time job where I was on my feet constantly. And when the time came on the weekend for me to, um, march for 20 miles, that was no problem. Mm. The, the other side of that coin though, is having a, a physical job where you're doing manual labor mm. and you're getting worn out all week. And then the time comes for the weekend for you to march that 20 miles after you've been punishing your body for the last five days. And it's just like, I am not doing that. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of anecdotal and tangential, but like I had a, a friend and roommate, not a reenactor, but he, he knew what I did, but, uh, you know, he was like a track labor, um, and you know he was like literally you know pounding rocks in the hot sun you know and like you know from like early in the morning until you know when like after the sun went down and he would just sleep all weekend and you know some people have jobs like that and it's like it it, it definitely is not great for reenacting if you want to reenact yeah what about like when when to hang it up this is a question that you and I don't really know the answer to because we're still reenacting. I mean... I just want to say this. I have never looked at a guy who was reenacting, who was old, and thought, that guy should have given it up already. I mean, look, I still... Know, a lot of... Uh, some of the oldest reenactors, quote-unquote, I know, later graduate to becoming, like, military sellers. If they're too old to go out in the field... They're still like going out to collection shows, and they're still they they still ha they they are still sort of dealing in kit and interacting with reenactors in in some way, shape, or form. And I think that like if in my twilight years I cannot go out in the field, I will still be you know engaging in reenactment commerce in some way. Like right now, I you know I have my sort of Longfellow military uh side hustle where I, you know, sell kit, um, on the side and I find it, I find it fun and rewarding. And, uh, you know, I get to, you know, it's, it's not a lot of money, but it's like, I'm, I get to hook my friends up with cool stuff and that's awesome. And so I see myself still doing that, um, throughout my years. If there is still going to be organized reenactment events when I'm in my 60s and maybe even beyond. I want to participate in sure. this. And I might not be participating as a frontline infantryman or a machine gunner. Uh, but then again, 
maybe I might. Yeah. In certain situations, certain events, I wouldn't begrudge anybody doing that now. And if I feel that I can do it, I mean, I think it's important for everybody, regardless of their age, to know their limits. Sure. And I also kind of think it's important for everybody, regardless of their age, to be willing to push their limits a little mm. bit. And I would like to keep pushing myself. I think um, depending on the event, depending on the scenario, there is a historical precedent for people in their 50s, people in their 60s, people in their 70s being in World War II in one way or another. And fighting. And fighting. Yeah. And and I would, you know, I would do that if I can. Sure. Um, sure, sure. And if I can't, well, then maybe it comes down to barracks events, garrison events. Specialized these, roles. Specialized you know, roles. Second line, specialized. Before. Yeah. Um, I think about somebody, um, and I'm not going to say his name because I don't know if he would want me to, but I saw somebody online posting their paymaster impression. And this was a guy who was not in great shape and who was old. But that guy looked like he stepped out of a history book. That's cool. It was super cool. That's you know? really cool. He had the specialized administrative insignia. <laughs> he had like a lockable briefcase, you know, for the unit funds That's awesome. or whatever. And he knew the role backward and forward and could answer questions about it. And it was like, this is really cool. Um, you know, another That's a goal. thing that I'm interested in is the Volksturm, the late mm-hmm. war civilian militia. And that's a very limiting thing because you can only do scenarios that are between October 1944 and the end of the war. Sure, but, but it's something. It's something. You know? And something else that we uh, that I touched on when I was talking on a previous episode with Brittany, or the Patreon episode, I guess it was, uh, was like this concept of kit hikes that I think is sort of, um, I see it as being kind of an ascendant thing in our hobby where uh, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, we're bas- I'm basically talking about something that's not an organized reenactment event, but rather a group of people who put on some kind of World War II kit to whatever extent that they can get away with it and uh, just go on a hike and spend a day outside. We've done a lot of that. I mean, we did a lot of that sort of in 2020 and, uh, you know, in the that's early right. days of the pandemic and before that, too. And, and it was a cool way for us to use our gear to get a few moments of zone out there. Yeah. And at also one, at one point. I was kind of like, uh, I didn't think this was necessarily a great idea. I mean, I've done this kind of stuff over a long period of time, but um, as it was almost like a guilty pleasure. Like, I don't even want other reenactors to know that I do this stuff. Sure. But I've come to see more value in it, particularly as things are changed, as our world has changed, as the pandemic has uh, really rocked everybody's schedule, really. Yeah, yeah I see myself, I'm probably going to do more sort of kit hikes, uh on one scale or another, you know, this year that I'm going to do events. I think that's true for me too. And uh, I, I don't see any sort of shame in that. I'm still using the stuff. I'm still seeing my friends. Um, Learning about yeah. it, the experimental yeah. archaeology aspect of it still holds true. Yeah, you get out of it um, sort of what you put into reenacting, but maybe just less intense, you know. Yeah, and it's not the same. Yeah, you don't get quite... out of it maybe as much, but you do get out of it something. You yeah. Know? Totally. And um, when I'm 60 years old, uh, when I'm 80 years old, if I can, I would love to be out there in the woods, outdoors, wearing a wool overcoat and thinking about the past and maybe heating up some some food with my Esbitt stove. Sounds great. Yeah, that sounds great. 
That's uh, something to aspire to, for sure. You know, something I think that we could touch on, and this this almost is separate from the life cycle of the reenactor. This is more like the life cycle of a human being. But th- we do see online in reenacting these like generational feuds, sort of. Um, and, you know, I don't really see that in real life as much. Uh, go on on that. Could you expand on that? Well, there's this, you've got this struggle of uh, the boomers versus, you know, the Zoomers, right? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, this gets a lot of, I don't know, a lot of spilled ink on yeah, social it gets media. A, yeah, it gets like. a lot of internet hype, but you don't really see it at events. Um, you know, I feel like it's kind of easy for people to throw shit at each other on the internet, but at, at events, people kind of just have to work together to make... T- to make stuff happen. Well, it's funny because I I feel like at events a lot of this stuff falls away. Like yeah. I think about um, the age range that we might have in our group at an mm. event. We might have people in age from uh, their early twenties through their mid sixties, and everybody's kind of on the same page. Yeah, no, it's and I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, there was a guy that I used to reenact with who had like a joke he used to make all the time, which was that uh, the only two places that he could think of where teenagers hung out with guys in their 60s in America were at reenactments and in prison. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. That's really and it's, funny. It's, it's kind of true, you know? Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Like reenacting, I mean, I've always, it's a bizarre melting pot. There can be clicks. Oh, totally. Form whether a certain unit, everybody is under the age of twenty-five, or everybody's over the age of sixty-five. Yeah, you know and I feel like there's, you know, it's it's it can be good, it can be very bad, you know, like and everything in between. I took a Panther store M42 Feldblüse, and this is in an era when boiling your uniforms was actually the fad, and I boiled this uniform into nothing, and it reduced itself into a, um, a woolen soup. It's really different to do reenactment in France, Italy, or even England, because there are countries that suffered from the war. In Switzerland, people are quite open, and I never got any negative reaction. There was a time where I thought, oh man, we're going to really be struggling with recruits this year. But I don't know if it's because people were sitting at home twiddling their thumbs because of COVID. But our recruitment actually has astronomically risen. The Reenactor's Corner, bringing history to life. All right, I think that pretty much uh, is all the time that we've got for today. Awesome. Um, I guess before I go, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the podcast. I wanted to tease that we've got some giveaways in the works, uh, which there will be more information about that coming out. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Also, uh, love to hear feedback from people who have ideas about stuff that uh, they'd like to hear us talk about. This was an episode based on an idea from a listener. So we appreciate that. You can always reach out to us at the reenactors corner at gmail.com and I'll respond to your email. And uh, one more time, thank you to everybody who has helped out and supported us on Patreon. It really means a lot. We're going to be doing some fun stuff with that money coming up soon. Hope to launch some, uh, reenactors corner t-shirts with our new logo as well uh, so i'll obviously be making an announcement about that when those are ready but we've got a lot of fun stuff in the works so thanks for listening 
Uh, ben, it's been great talking to you again today. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. Pleasure to be here. Okay, so to everybody out there, stay safe, and I'll see you in the field. See you in the field. Before we go, just a reminder that we love hearing what you think about the podcast. So why not let us know by reaching out in all the usual places, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for The Reenactors Corner, and you'll find us there. And maybe think about supporting us via Patreon. No matter how big or small, your monthly donations make a huge difference and mean that we can carry on growing the podcast. You can sign up for as little as $2 a month at patreon.com slash reenactorscorner. You'll find a whole bunch of exclusive content there too, and we're forever grateful for your support. It means a lot. And finally, as ever, thanks to Mike, a.k.a. Retro Man, for editing the podcast. And thanks to you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and will join us again here at the Reenactors Corner.